0: All right. Well, welcome to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I'm Josh Patterson, and with me today is Marty Frederick. Marty, what's going on, dude? <laughs> I'm really
1: hey, tired. today, I'm man. so I'm pretty really tired too, tired and today. I, I have an idea. Why don't
0: we? Why don't we say that this episode is about meditation and contemplative prayer, and we'll just leave quietness our listeners to engage in those practices for like an hour, and you and I will take a nap, and then we'll come back at the end and be like, amen, to wrap up everyone's prayer experience, and it will be done.
1: (laughs) I think that would be a really, really, really good idea if it was just you and I today, but because we have a guest, that might be kind of rude, you know, that we asked our guest to set aside time, (laughs) and then we just decided to just... Do something else <laughs> that had no intention of bringing that person That's into true. the show. Unless they were also very that would not tired very
0: and they wanted them. a nap, then.
1: <laughs> well, there is that, and everyone. I mean, the reality is, I've learned this as a dad, Josh. And someday, I mean, you're you're a dog dad, but mm-hmm. I'm sure there will be day when you, when you and Noel have your own children. um Every parent can use a nap, no matter what. Like. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what time of day it is, like it could be you just woke up and you just got <laughs> the kids off to the bus stop. Well, guess what? You would probably need a nap. Like, <laughs> so I mean, I don't know. I'm sure. I'm sure you'll be able to relate, but you might even be able to relate. That's true. You know, Luckily, right now they're they're
0: they behaving themselves. Overall. They're all. I can see them, in the. So I'm in the my library recording, and like I can see through the two French doors the dogs laying on the sofa, and they're actually behaving, unlike last time, Marty. When we were recording with Greg Boyd, uh, they destroyed my house. (laughs) And then I was watching them do it while we were recording, but I didn't want to get up and walk away from the conversation. (laughs) So I was just like suffering in silence. And they, they, Katara, our pit bull, knocked over the trash can and recycling bin and then... Our little Frenchy Lola was just like awesome. Look at all this great stuff we can just man. shred and have fun with, right? So it's a bit crazy. This is my trial. but yeah, I.
1: <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll just be honest, man. Like you know, dogs and that kind of stuff, man. Like once once you get them started, it's it's pretty hard to stop them, and that's it's it is also yeah, that's that true. Way and actually. Sugar. So, Marty,
0: you want to know something cool, and this might work as a good transition. Um, my dogs actually appeared in a photo that our guest today used on their social media account. Uh, yeah, because they were reading her book. Look. And so, yeah, I, I believe it was Katara and Lola were reading her huh. book. And so uh, I sent a picture. Uh, to our guest, who we can bring in now, uh, which is Maggie Lee Calvin. Um, Meg, how's it going? And do you, do you remember this this picture of our dogs reading the book?
2: Yes, I do remember that. That was adorable.
0: <laughs> yeah, that that was Katara and and uh, Lola, and Katara's the naughty one who thinks it's funny to knock over the trash can. So, there's that. Hmm. <laughs> But Meg, before we get started here, we do have a question uh, that we like to ask all of our our guests on the show, and it's a super important uh, question to both Marty and I. And more recently, actually, Marty's been the one asking the question. Do you want to continue with that uh, that trend, Marty? That sounds I think good to that's, me. I think that's the reason that we've been getting more listeners recently is because <laughs> you've been asking the question and not me. You
1: know, what, on a sidebar, I hate, I hate Meg, sorry to leave you hanging out on the question because I know it's a really intense feeling. Uh, But Josh whenever we decide like who's going to ask the question and this is not me being like like critical of you or whatever this is just me like pointing out something that I think has been funny like we haven't figured out that we should just probably decide who's going to ask the question before we start recording the podcast (laughs) and so like we act like it's like marty would you like to ask the question this time but like it's really not like that big of a deal (laughs) and like like, yeah it's like it'd be like super peaceful transition but anyway like that's just me being you know the um the perfectionist that i was taught to be at certain jobs um ah
0: i know about those certain jobs (laughs) i bet you're going to talk about those jobs today as well
1: Yeah, maybe, 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 maybe not, as my wife likes to say. Anyway, (laughs) um, Meg, who is your favorite hockey team?
2: My favorite hockey team is the Letterkenny Irish. Whoa. All right. Now,
0: can you, because you, so you've actually stumped me on this one. Where, where do they play? Like what, what league are they a part of?
2: (laughs) They are uh, fictitious team they are part of the the canadian comedy letter Kinney on hulu okay yeah it's a hilarious awesome. show and um <laughs> of course hockey is huge if we're in canada and so the creator of the show jared queso who is amazing a comedic genius he played a lot as a kid and still plays and so and a lot of the cast do too so hockey plays a big role in that that comedy and my husband and i are addicted to it and I love the story of Letterkenny um, because it started out as just a Twitter handle between two friends and they would, or a Twitter account, sorry, Twitter account that they would show, they would, it was named after their real town that starts with an L in Canada and I can't think of the actual town, but it was something like, let's say Leote. Leote Problems was the Twitter account and it was just hilarious, hilarious things about this town of 5,000 people that it, that would. those people were facing because uh like most towns there's there's the the jocks and the i think they call them the not the crips oh i can't think of the skids the the jocks the skids and (laughs) the skid the rednecks and so the it blew up on twitter then it became a youtube show and then it then (laughs) canada's version of hulu which is called crave they picked it up, and so and now it's exploded in America, and it's they now tour America, and Garrett and I, my husband, are going to go see them live in Kansas City in April, and we're so excited.
0: <laughs> yeah, that sounds awesome. I'm going to have to check that out on Hulu. Mm-hmm. That sounds great. Yeah, that's so.
2: But obviously, I don't I don't watch hockey, so. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well that's fair enough. So you you were like extremely well prepared for that answer and I think you gave the most creative answer we've had on the show, so that's pretty cool. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Oh, by far. By far. Because the reality is, and like I hate to like do this because like in some ways I guess I'm kind of one of these people too, but in some ways theologians not only do they say something like, Oh, you know, I'm not really into sports (laughs) but then like they also are like I'm not into sports and like it, and like I'm like man, like it's it's okay to like sports. It's okay to be like have a sh- have like a team you like. It's okay to like all that stuff. But then we've had the opposite, you know. Like we had um, a couple different people on the show. Like we asked a question, and they were like they they've they've played hockey or they've played sports wow. their whole life, and so they know exactly who they like. And so like it's it's been it's been a both hand. But I've found that the very the most quote unquote prestigious people are always like well. I don't actually really watch (laughs) hockey. This is actually a hard question, but um, is the is the Maple Leaves a team? And then you're like, yeah, the Maple Leaves is a team. And like, well, that's my favorite, and you're kind of like, okay, cool. (laughs) So thank you for being
2: creative. (laughs) Yeah, my pleasure. I did play hockey as a kid, and I loved to ice skate. And my dad and I had played street hockey. And I think at one time we lived we lived in Germany. I did play hockey on the ice, and I. I do, uh, I do love it. I haven't played it though since I would have been third or fourth grade, but I've, uh, but I've ice skated since then, and I've, I love, I love to ice skate. So, yeah, it's
0: yeah, hockey's yeah, it's so much fun. fun. I think Marty, what, uh, what we should do now is like when people come on that don't have a favorite team, like Meg just gave me an idea. We're just going to tell them the Chiefs is their favorite team because that's the hockey team <laughs> I play on. And we'll tell them number number six is their favorite player because that's me. So, what do you think?
1: <laughs> well, well, we until how about this? We can do that once we have a guest come on the show that says the Chicago Blackhawks. Dude, we de- we already so,
0: had that like three times.
1: No, that never happened when I was a part of the show. Didn't Even David just saying that? David
0: Fitch definitely. He was a Hawks fan, man. <laughs> <laughs> all right per, <laughs> per, perhaps we should uh we should we should move on <laughs> yeah <laughs> so our listeners are like oh great we gotta turn this crap off fast forward fast forward all right so <laughs> May, can you uh just for our listeners sake can you uh fill us in a little bit about uh who you are what you do uh maybe a little bit of like your your background story like your your upbringing those kind of things
2: yeah so i am a word nerd i love words uh i'm i love a good deep conversation i'm an extreme extrovert i am a wife i'm a mom i try to be a good friend i I get paid. <laughs> I get paid to, to engage. I'm the director of engagement for the Institute for Discipleship, and we're a foundation at Southwestern College in Winfield, Kansas, and we we strive to offer the highest quality of um, online Christian education through BeADisciple.com. So we offer accredited courses and courses with CEUs and ministry certifications. We've been doing it since 2007. Um, We're about to be at, we just crossed the threshold of 14,000 online learners, which is exciting. So part of my gig there is I, I coach content creators and marketing which is a blast and I love it. And then I recruit content creators to teach for us that we host their plat. We, we are the platform for their course because the knowledge industry is exploding right now and everybody wants to offer an online course. And so what we do is we come alongside people and we partner with them in marketing in the tech side. They don't have to worry about, um, collecting finance funds from their, their course participants. We take care of all of that and we pay the instructor and, um, we really become a community for Christian content creators because it can be lonely. It can be a very isolated job being an, a solopreneur, being a content creator and we want to come alongside them as a community and so that's that's what I do during the day and that also includes um hosting and producing the Listening Chair podcast and my co-host Miranda and I we explore how God and vocation and careers intertwine and how all careers have spiritual undertones. And when I'm not doing that, I I write books and I speak and I, I get to coach um, as a creative coach. I coach other writers, and I have a blast doing that. And before that, for 15 years, I was a minister on at a United Methodist church. So that is that is my that is my present story. Um, my past, my faith upbringing. I was very, very fortunate that I was—I had two United Methodist um, grandparents who were missionaries, and so they got me involved in the church at a very young age. When I, due to some external factors in my family, like a divorce, and th- my dad was in the army, so we, he fought in the Gulf War and then the Bosnian conflict, and we moved a lot. Like there were so many things going on that could make for a. An emotional unstable childhood and my grandparents got me connected to the church at a at just the right time where I really needed a supplemental family and in a healthy way most of the time <laughs> in the healthy way that the local church met those needs for me and gave me the the affirmation and validation that I needed and introduced me to to a God that heals at an early age so I was thankful for my progressive missionary grandparents and um, and I, I had to say though because <laughs> at home My, my mom was, um, my parents both had a faith, but for my mom lacked confidence to be more articulate with her faith. And my dad was a Catholic and he had a lot of anger toward certain parts of his religious upbringing. So that led to him being quieter about his faith because he was, didn't really know what he believed. So, um, I was thankful to have all all four of their voices in my life as I was growing up in the church. And then also I had a a second mom who was my aunt, who was one of those that was more spiritual than religious. And she also brought a different, a different narrative into my life about God and spirituality. So that's, that's me in a nutshell.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So I actually, I worked in UMC for a little bit. There's a lot that I liked about it. Um, I like a lot of their theology, Uh, but then also the, Methodist church I worked at was batshit crazy, to say the <laughs> least. <So. laughs> they
2: can be. There's that
0: part of it, too. But <laughs> but uh, that, that was no fault of the UMC. That was uh, just a staffing thing. But anyway, that's not what we're going to talk about today. We want to talk about your new book, uh, which is called <laughs> I Am My Own Sanctuary. <laughs> um, how a recovering holy roller found healing and power and... Um, so basically the first thing we want to know is, is why did you write this book? And maybe who did you have in mind when you were writing it? Who's it for?
2: Yeah. So I, I was very confused for many years by the fact that so many holy, fellow holy rollers considered things like ambition and self-love as the opposite of godly and good. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that when you worked in the church. Mm, Um, We,
0: it's interesting. I would say that like we almost had Marty and I, when we worked together, we almost had like the opposite. Like if you weren't constantly working, like we, if you weren't putting in a 60 hour work week, then you were wasting God's time. Like you're a bad pastor. You're a bad steward of God's time. And like, it was, it was the exact opposite. Like work, 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 grind, 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 uh, yeah (laughs) yeah so that was that was kind of our experience
2: that is so fascinating yeah what what and you're you're up north what state are you what state was the church in that was in uh south florida oh really interesting fascinating wow wow that's yeah i i obviously the pendulum swings too far in either direction it's neither healthy nor good right (laughs) yeah yeah um well for for the the circles i was a part of there was definitely there was definitely a lot of shrinking back and playing small and in the name of humility and not and then any time I don't know, but my voice or someone else's voice. i are just kidding. Anytime I would suggest a higher standard be set, or that we work a little harder on certain things, I, I uh, those those types of ideas or suggestions would not be received well because I think, as we were sharing just a minute ago, when we almost chased this this bunny, it still I think it applies to this part of the conversation though when. When we say that the church is not a business all that that does is it opens the door for very poor business practices and it'll it (laughs) it leads us to keeping a very low bar and um lack of accountability for people on a team and so um i'm already off topic sorry okay so in my circle i was really confused by why why do we play small and shrink back as Marian williamson teaches as christians and so I, I had that confusion because I really wanted to own ambi- own my ambition and in a healthy way. And I did not think that self-love was the opposite of godly. And then I was confused with how grit, this idea of grit in religious circles, it mostly from other ministerial leaders, grit came from a place of, of impressing or appeasing other church members as opposed to just owning mm. the power of the divine within so I was I was really confused by these things and then to add to that I was witnessing so much ministerial and spiritual burnout because ministerial leaders were just making every decision based off the fickle preferences of the moods of the church members they were serving. So all of those questions and quandaries and confusions and moments of cussing and crying it <laughs> led to it led to this book. So um yeah, so that's that's the reason I, I I wrote the book, and it it wasn't meant to have a memoir like feel. Like it wasn't supposed to have in the beginning. It didn't have so many stories about my experience of being on a church staff from age seventeen to thirty two. But what happened was, I like the mo- in the most beautiful moments of creating something your creation starts to talk back to you and it tells you what it wants to be and i realize how much fun i could have writing self-deprecating humor about my story <laughs> as i'm being a minister for that long and and also how vulnerability is powerful if if you're doing it from a place of serving your reader as opposed to doing it from a place of shock factor you know <laughs> So, um, yeah, that's that's the that's the reason that um, this weird, unique beast of a book
0: exists. (laughs) Sweet. Awesome. Well, so the 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 title of your book, then, is is I Am My Own Sanctuary. Um, And I think if I remember correctly, and actually, I think you posted on social media the other day, uh, you have something connected to this idea of I Am My Own Sanctuary tattooed uh, on your arm so can you explain to us yeah. where does this name come from and what's what's up with the, the tattoo thing?
2: Yeah, yeah. So nine, nine years ago, I came across this quote in Latin and I don't speak Latin. I used to sing it a lot because in Texas, there's a thing called UIL choirs and we sang a lot of Latin in these competitions. So I, I don't speak it, but I came across it and the phrase was and I'm if I'm going to butcher it, I'm probably going to butcher it so just let me know but it's I I pronounce it ego Sanctuario mio and did I say that right as far as you guys know
1: uh, It sounded it sounded amazing to I me so we're no going go to go with
2: that <laughs> Nice <laughs> Score Um yes Yes So it as you said it means I am my own sanctuary and when I came across it 9 years ago I was going through a tough time in my life of of um, in infertility and um, other issues of that nature along with being still figuring out what was my vocational calling am I living out of it how do I survive the gnashing of teeth of the local church so all those feelings and I, I came across this this phrase and I wanted to live into it I wanted those words in me I wanted those words to be me And the reason I was so hungry for this phrase and the reason why it satisfied me so was at that point in my life, I was really struggling to be a differentiated person. And as many of your listeners and you both know that this phrase differentiated in the psychology world, it means to have a healthy balance of autonomy and togetherness with the people you're in relationship with and you're able to make your choices based on your own emotions and your own preferences as opposed to making choices from a place of appeasing other people in your life. And I realized that I sucked at being differentiated and I was just, I was making every choice based on my (laughs) church members. So that phrase spoke to me for that reason and the other reason was that I really wanted to own, start owning the power of the Holy Spirit within me. And that no matter where I was or who I was with, that there was there was this arsenal of grit for every goal, and this arsenal of grace for every wound within me. Already, I didn't have to earn it, I didn't have to get permission to have it or to tap into it. That it was it was in me and of me, and I just had to tap. I just it was here already. And the Holy Spirit was already present, and I had I had forgotten that nine years ago. And so that became my life mantra, and then it became the name of the book because it worked so perfectly as As the book was written mm. as I was leaving my role at the church was when I wrote the book. And so um, my publisher, Ralph Polindo at choir, he, he knew that my own goal was if choir picked up my, my second book that I would get the tattoo of the in Latin on on my person. And then he said, that's a really low goal. You should wait to get it on the Amazon bestseller list in your category of Christian personal growth. And if you get the best seller, then get the tattoo. And so we my business coach and I worked to make it part of our marketing plan. And once it hit Amazon it became the bestseller in Christian personal growth, we went to the tattoo parlor and, and got it tattooed on my arm. Haha, <laughs> nice. That's awesome and we did oh we 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 did facebook live so everybody could be a part of it
0: yeah that's
2: that's really cool i need to see i
0: i have uh tattoos as well and i always want more so i need to find a really cool clever thing like that so i can keep getting tattoos yeah. uh hmm perhaps i should write a book too <laughs> <laughs> that but the
2: um oh yeah totally get get that good content out there
0: yeah <laughs> so the but so the when when you were talking about the whole diff dif, I can't even say it differentiated versus undifferentiated people, um, reading that was like a, a slap in the face for me because I also suck at that. Um, I tend I think and and maybe I get this confused or, or perhaps you could help tease this out for me. But like and I think Marty is is very similar to me in this. Uh, we're both very empathetic people, and so when we're uh, you know, in a relationship with, um, other church members and their, or friends and they're like telling us their story or their baggage. Um, I know I have a lot of times within my empathy, I kind of take that onto myself. Um, and that, so is that, Mm -hmm. is there like a, like a way that you can be empathetic? Like, how does, how does that work? I know I'm not articulating my question well, but like Mm -hmm. I have that issue um, which can be help, uh, unhealthy, um, like you talked about and and I think the porcupine uh, imagery that you used um, could be helpful, but could you help tease that out a little bit
2: yeah i th- I think one exercise i'm I'm trying to be a good extrovert and filter what I say, so I say the most helpful thing instead of rambling for ten minutes before I get to the actual answer <laughs> so for 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 me as one who would probably fall under the category or the label as an is an empath basically as well um, to some degree is that the more time and I I share all these all the steps I took to help me in in the book and one of those was and I I know you're I know you're both are probably already doing this but I'm just sharing it for the listener as well who might need to hear this today once I made solitude and meditation something I did before I became a mom, I did it every day. Then once I became a mom, it was three or four days a week. And so, um, but, but solitude and meditation and practicing mindfulness, I began to be aware of when to own the power that I could feel what other people were feeling. And not only, not only could I be aware, I have this power. I have God has equipped me with this skill to feel people's feelings. But then I also grew in my awareness of within me i was holding my emotions and that other person's emotions and i could even decipher which one is of me and which one is this person that's crying in front of me and so and if in if i was ever if i was ever in a in a meeting with someone and there that person had a very negative toxic um hurtful energy um i would i started doing this exercise that that Dr. Christine Page speaks about, and she's a little, she's a little too new agey for some people's tastes, but this exercise is so beautiful and, but it's this idea that once you are aware, you enter a new space with a person, and then you are, you are filled with someone else's emotions and you you tap in and you breathe and you you feel your body and you figure out oh wait that that's those emotions are not mine. <laughs> and in the past I would have owned those as mine and and acted out of them as mine but right I'm I'm aware now <laughs> these are not mine. So what she teaches is this idea of imagining holding up a mirror to that person and and letting all those emotions go back to them, back to them and and ima- and then breathing deeply and imagining and envisioning their emotions leaving leaving your person if if they need to and and also speaking to that person that i i don't know where this is coming from but i sense i mean obviously it's a gift from god like we know where it's coming from but i i sense that you are i sense that you are you are sad i sense that there is some anger here and i'm sure you guys have done pastoral care classes too and and you know that Questions like why? For some reason, why is sometimes a really good question, but in emotionally tense moments of sadness or anger or exploration, why can really close the door on conversation. So asking questions like, What what is this anger? Or where 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 is this sadness coming from? I feel sadness from you. Where is it coming from? instead of why why are you sad like for some reason why is so massive and big that it just in certain it's great for brainstorming sessions but in moments of sensitivity and vulnerability questions starting with how or not sorry how but um what um or, or where 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 is the sadness coming from and they might say i'm not sad it's like oh okay because they might not be aware of it um, they are they might not as we talk as i talk about in the book they have might have been like me and been forced to repress so many negative emotions for so long that they don't know how to name their emotions, and we talk about in the book how tapping into your body, your body can teach you how to name emotions. And um, I, I, was was any of that was any were any of those words helpful about um, how to own your power as an empath?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Sorry, I I'm like keep getting congested in my voice. Sorry, go ahead, Barty.
1: Okay. <laughs> I was going to ask, Meg, can you can you give uh, if you have some that are um, that are not quite as intensely personal to share, like, you know, for your just for your own benefit? Can you do you have any specific examples um, of ways that you have used that in the past? Um, And because as you were talking, um, I'm thinking of my children and I'm thinking of when one of my children, which I'm sure you've experienced, too, when one does something to the other one, you know, as a parent, even though, like in my mind, the first question is, why did you do that? And that's the answer that for some reason I need to receive to understand what's going on. I can, I can, I can guarantee that almost every time I've asked, why did you do that? Um, the answer is never a suitable answer. Uh, (laughs) like it's never something that brings us to a conclusion like okay well now we can work from here to the next place and we can work through this together so can you give some examples where like we're asking why like just with that specific piece we're asking why hasn't worked uh but asking how or asking you know where like can you give examples of that and how that's worked for you
2: Hmm. that's a great question which is what everyone says when they need more time to process the answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We're just going to chalk it up
1: to the internet, right?
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Why comes off as it can come off. And I'm not speaking to the situation of, of, that you gave, which is a great example. Why comes off as people could easily take offense to it. It had. It implies. What are you thinking? What were you? Why? Yeah. Like, and it. It seems to. Whereas. Where, where are these? Where is? Where are these tears coming from? Or, what? What is behind your anger? Those. Those types of questions they send the signal of, yeah, I, I believe in your potential and I really want to understand you better. And for some Mm -hmm. reason I I have just, I found that starting questions with where did where are those tears coming? Where did the tears come from? Or what's behind this anger? Those really do lead to, a deeper understanding and a more openness to share. And I'm, but I'm not answering your question. You asked for a specific, I can think of many times with my husband that I, when I use the word, why, why would you, why would you say that? (laughs) Um, Has, has has shut the door on a conversation instead of me asking, what was it about the the previous conversation that made you so mad? And so, and, and also what, what, what makes it shrinks? It, it doesn't feel as massive as why and so they can really get to the yeah let's start start out slowly start out small what was the exact moment that that made you start feeling uncomfortable that day it's like oh it was it was the time he made fun of the amount of calories on my plate you know whatever it was they can get back to that what specific moment um yeah
1: i think that's so good because i think you know as i'm just personally thinking about it so i happen to be uh, a pretty intense empath, as Josh insinuated a couple minutes ago, um, as he and I tend to think very similarly along that that type of line. Um, but I also think that one of my one of my weaknesses that was expressed to me, um, in ministry and just kind of I, I learned was I didn't have a very high administrative side mm. uh, at all <laughs> and so I also I also tend to be the type of person that wants to please you know yeah. wants to but also wants to work on myself too so it's not necessarily just me saying oh I better do this for your sake but you know you see the both and mm-hmm. and um, and so I think in a couple different roles I've been in now I've learned how to be so administratively minded that I think sometimes but I haven't necessarily mastered either. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes what winds up happening is um, the the lines get blurred between being administratively minded and saying, you know, I mean, the stereotypical male of like, you know, let's solve this problem and let's get to the bottom of it so we can move on. But then also the stereotypical empath that wants you and I to remain in this tension so that we can work through it together. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times figuring that out and, you know, compartmentalizing which is needed in which situation um, begins to be very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, at least I mean, at least it is for me specifically, because I, like I said, I mean, I think like as you mentioned earlier, I think in ministry we are we are taught and geared and trained towards, you know, particularly in the role that Josh and I worked in. You know, what is the absolute best use of our time? You know, I believe Josh was even Josh was even asked to do. Over a one-week period, he was asked to track what he did on a spreadsheet over the course of every 15 minutes of the entire workday. Um, oh, that was for a month.
0: Yeah, It wasn't just a oh, week, for a month, month oh I gosh. had to do that. and uh, Including if I had to get up and go to the bathroom or answer a text message or whatever.
1: <laughs> and it was used as a tool for Josh to learn how to... Um, use and operate within a good, like a good time constraint or understanding how to manage his time, quote unquote, better. Um, And, uh, you know, I I don't, I definitely don't think that any part of that had any empathy (laughs) (laughs) worked into it at all. Right. Um, No, that was micromanagement to the extreme is what that was. Right. And so I think, I think we're, I think we can, I think that's sort of like, like you mentioned earlier, that's the pendulum swinging completely almost to one angle Uh, And kind of hanging there for a long time, Uh, and so it's. I mean, everything you said was so good. You know, just to learn, like, you know, if you were to say, you know, if I were to say to my son, you know, what, what was, what was on your mind when you decided that you needed to hit your brother? Mm -hmm. um, That seems like a different, like an easier answer than why did you do that? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because why has so many answers and so many implications and so many different pieces to it. It's not just a simple you know because i wanted to which is usually the answer they wind up giving and that's never suitable and it never helps mm-hmm. solve anything so it's just a big waste of time so if we're talking about time management <laughs> and we're talking about being empathetic sometimes asking the right questions that are genuinely empathetic can actually lead us to you know managing our time better but on a deeper and more important level bring us to a position of saying like i really understand and i really get you and i'm i'm i think we're able to work this out together and then it usually ends in a hug or you know people smiling and laughing and i think that that it's it's a completely different thing.
2: Oh yeah, i have to recommend to you one of my mentors books, The Whole Brain Child by Dr. Tina Payne Bryson and Dr. Dan Siegel. Have you heard of it? I have not. Yeah, it'll blow your mind and make parenting so much easier and that she's she's phenomenal. I I've got to be at a conference with her and i her work well I'm, how, how the brain works in a kid is just phenomenal. And it's, it's been so helpful to me. I have a five-year-old daughter, Mm. just what she talks about, um, basically how the, I I don't want to get us off track, but how the, okay. (laughs) It's like stay on topic, Meg. But okay. All I'll (laughs) say is that there's, we, we, some of us have been taught that children, you need to deal with the situation immediately like after so like right after the remote was thrown at the other kid's head like talk right then and um which isn't isn't helpful because their brain is not in a place for retention or for learning of any kind and they have so much cortisol or adrenaline running through their brain that the the upstairs brain the neocortex where rationalizing and personality and logical thinking memory all that lives upstairs in a moment of high stress for a kid that all of the, those cognitive functions shut down. So any lesson you try to teach them in that moment, it's not going to stick. It's not going to be helpful. So what's beautiful is that she reminds us that um, even two to three hours after the event, once this dust has settled, it can be talked about in a way that a new a new strategy could be taught to the kid and this idea and she she takes neuroscience and puts it in layman's terms which is great so she uses she uses phrases like connect to redirect and um and by that she means um um soft shoulder Mommy, soft me in by now. I need help. oh so sorry hold one second <laughs> my grandparents are failing on my child right now. Okay, so sorry. And now you have to edit all that ranting out about me telling you about a great book. Sorry about that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was actually just, just telling Josh, I, I think I'm going to have to leave the mom. Can you let me in right now? Um, just just maybe not yes. like the like the blank <laughs> space afterwards.
2: <laughs> yes. It's so,
1: it's so funny.
2: funny. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, giving, I'm, I'm sharing this parenting advice that really helped me the, uh, while my daughter is locked out of the room I'm in, basically. <laughs> so she's
0: got her grandparents. she's okay yeah it's perfect yeah it's real life it's good it's perfect (laughs) sweet well so um i guess one thing i really appreciated about um your book meg was you managed to pack a lot of really helpful content um in like not like your book it's not a giant tome of a book it's not like a textbook and you were managed to pack so much good and helpful content into this this book that was extremely readable, very, like, funny and engaging to read. Um, I liked, you know, all the stories that you are telling. And so when <laughs> before you came on, we were trying to figure out, like, you know, I was talking to you about, oh, like, what kind of questions are we going to talk about? Because there's just so much good content. Um, and we've spent, you know, 40 minutes already talking about, like, just one really helpful thing um, that you share with us in your book. And so... I wanted to focus to another, like shift focus a little bit to another uh, part of your book that I found really helpful, um, which is where you talk a lot about grace uh, for our bodies. It's mm-hmm. kind of um, like the, the the chapter title you had there. And you talked about the the need to embrace our bodies is good uh, because oftentimes, especially within church world, we're taught that like our bodies are just you know awful they're sinful like there's something we should be ashamed of like all this really negative stuff and you say wait a minute that's not necessarily the best way uh, to go about things so can we can we talk about grace for our bodies a little bit
2: oh of course I love I love this conversation yeah so in in the book I in that chapter I talk about this amazing moment in my life where I was I was I went on a few dates with a stripper And how I did not know he was a stripper at the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and so he had, of course, similarly wired as you both are, I'm sure. I spent the date analyzing it and analyzing the theological implications of it. And I noticed that he had such a great love for his body. And was very proud of it and wasn't afraid to wear the fitted pants and shirts and I at the same time whenever I would preach I would wear the baggiest of clothes and more uh, a sports bra to hide the fact that I, I had a, a woman's anatomy because I didn't want to distract and I, I came from a faith that had been ordaining women for over 50 years at that point and so I can only imagine what it would be like for women from more conservative right-wing leaning denominations but yeah, I had so much shame for my body. I, I thought it got in the way. I, I hated that my my body made me feel sexy and at an appropriate age. Like I was early twenties, so it was totally okay for me to feel sexy. But I felt shame for feeling that, and then try and hide, tried to hide my body, often. And so the stripper was a great. It started. It started me questioning some things. Just being on on these dates with him, so that. And from that, that's the opening part of the chapter, and that just leads to talking about purity culture and and me figuring out what is the balance between purity culture, which was so fear based in the the church culture that I was in, then the Bible Belt, and promiscuity, which I, I I do believe wholeheartedly is is dangerous and and not what God had in mind for us, and that the hookup culture that we millennials are a part of, and the Gen Z people younger than us are a part of. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know how old either of you are, so I shouldn't assume your generation. Sorry. But um, I think.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're both millennials. You were right. I'm 25. Okay.
2: Rock on. Rock on. Awesome. So you get it. So I, I think that the hookup culture that we're a part of, it is it is totally denying the, the gift that sex should be and the superpower that sex is and in the book I write a letter to my daughter that I'll have her read when she's a teenager or preteen I mean um but I talk about how sometimes I wonder why God gave us very stupid humans such a great gift as sex and because it is it is it is meant to be (laughs) viewed as that and and so I I think if if we were to spend more time being aware of our bodies and what they're telling us and what they're capable of and how handsome or beautiful they are and how insanely powerful they are and how sacred and powerful sex is that we would, we would move very differently with it in our culture because it is, it's a different, Mm. it's not, it's not this, it might come from the same part of the brain (laughs) as sleeping and eating and breathing that reptilian downstairs brain as we talk about in the book it might come from there but it's a primal but really it's much more sacred we, than than eating sleeping and breathing we need to stop viewing it as just like oh i want a big mac i'm going to go to mcdonald's or burger king wherever big macs are it's it's different it's it's sacred there's power much more power there than we're aware of and so so yeah so in that in that chapter of the book i explore for myself what is what is that happy medium that happy balance of not being promiscuous and also not not coming from a place of fear of and shame that that purity culture gave to me
0: yeah for sure and that's that can be such a hard line to draw too. like um we're going to be interviewing uh somebody who wrote a book called beyond shame uh here coming up and yeah and and reading that book awesome. was um it talked about this whole purity culture thing as well and like It's so, it's like, it's such a tough balance because you don't want like the fear and the shame side of things, but then also you don't want to just say, okay, everybody like go and do everything that you want. Like just have sex with everybody. It's great. Orgies are fun. Like, (laughs) (laughs) so it's like, which, you know, there's, there's a line, but I think, um, I feel like at least in my understanding from a theological perspective, a lot of this unhealthiness, uh, when thinking about our bodies comes from the way that, uh, like, philosophers like plato have influenced the christian faith and also a lot of like gnosticism almost you know yeah like this idea that our bodies are just like empty tombs they're a shell they're not really what matters because we're just going to go like live in the sky as some kind of like ethereal spirit kind of thing somewhere um when really that's not what the bible teaches at Mm -hmm. all the the bible uh teaches that Mm-hmm. Um, like, like soul and body are meant to be together, and that heaven and earth are gonna, uh, in a very physical sense, um, be restored and redeemed together as one. So our bodies very much matter, um, instead of this like idea that we're gonna go be ghost somewhere. And I think uh, buying into that idea it really uh, hurts us when it comes to um, embracing mm-hmm. right uh, the on. bodies that God has given us as good.
2: Yeah, very good. Very, very good. Yeah, and it was yeah, it was so helpful when I came across the the book by the the Catholic author, um Farley, I believe. Um, what is her? Margaret Margaret Farley, possibly the Book of Christian Sexual Ethics, and she asked these I think the Christian, the Catholic Church asked her to leave after she wrote this book, but it's so to me it asks such helpful questions and when it comes to any, any sexual encounter, which is the questions of, um, am I doing this? Just, am I using this person as a, as a, as a means to pleasure? Is this is, um, second question, is this the right time in our relationship for us to do for us to take this step? And then I'm forgetting one question. I want to make sure. Yeah. Margaret Farley's book, Just Love a Framework for Christian Sexual Ethics. Um, uh, oh, am I respecting my own autonomy? So simply asking these questions, will this physical act show respect toward myself and my partner? Or am I using him or her as a means to the end of pleasure? Am mm-hmm. I respecting my own autonomy? Or is this physical act what is best for our relationship right now? Like these books alone, you can't have a hookup culture with these, sorry, these questions alone, you can't have a hookup culture with these questions. Like they, they put an end to promiscuity in my, in my opinion. And it's so much stronger than teaching abstinence only until marriage it's (laughs) because as the as i point out in the book studies show that only three percent of americans are actually waiting until marriage so our abstinence only that we're teaching Hmm. (laughs) isn't helping get the get the end that the results that we want
0: (laughs) no (laughs) yeah that man and the it's so it's It's so difficult too because, so I don't, Meg, I don't know if I I told you this, but I work, my full-time job is I'm a high school and young adult pastor. And so I work with, I work with students and this question always comes up, like how far is too far? Like basically people trying to push the limits, like, okay, well, if I put things here, does that really count? Like, all right, we get it. Like, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, and so it's, it's so, it's so frustrating though, because, I want to be able to teach students that sex is a, a good mm-hmm. thing, yeah. um, that it's a beautiful thing, that God created sex, it's, and, like, the, the beautiful side of it without um, then just endorsing them to go do what they want, you know? Um, but also, I don't want to feed in to the the fear and the shame kind of stuff that I was taught growing up in church mm-hmm. uh, because that's mm-hmm. not really helpful either. Um Especially when, you know, dealing with, uh, I have a lot of male students that come to me and talk to me uh, about like dealing with um, like lustful thoughts or lustful feelings about different girls or, you know, watching pornography, things like this. And they've been taught that having those thoughts is, makes them a bad, awful person. When in reality, you can't not have those thoughts. They're going to come to you uh naturally as a person um especially when you're going mm-hmm. through puberty and your you know your hormones are going nuts so like trying to help students see that these like it's more so about how we engage with those thoughts once they come about um and how we can uh realize like okay this is a part of being human but also I want to be respectful uh, you know, to my peers and all this kind of stuff. I don't know. I'm rambling as well. But it's just, it's such a tough area. That's like, I don't think we've quite figured out the best way to talk to students about it. Yeah. Um, because right. if you don't straight up give like the fear and shame stuff, people mm-hmm. accuse you of just giving your students permission to do whatever they want, and then you get fired. <laughs> so like, you know what I mean? Going forward, I think that's a big area that that needs to continue being explored. Right. And I think it's kind of coming to the light now as well. I've noticed a whole bunch of books kind of uh, flooding out about the whole purity culture mm-hmm. thing. Like that seems to be a hot topic coming out of, um, you know, whatever right now.
2: Oh yeah i i i've I've, no, I've noticed that too, and it's 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 exciting. It's exciting to see because I, from what I what I've picked up on, at least from. Nadia Bowles Weber's book um, is that they too are trying to find th- that balance between purity culture and promiscuity that they're trying to say okay, hookup culture is not healthy either and um, so I think that's 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 good as you as you were that's good and right and healthy and timely and I'm so thankful and it's so confusing because the bible <laughs> so often when it is speaking about sex um it's coming from this as you know the cultural mindset that women are property and so that's not the case now so how do we view sex now and then when people say biblical marriage do they mean polygamy like what do they what do they mean biblical marriage so so it's I, i i think it's so helpful when churches bring in, and I know this might rock the boat, but we Methodists, we believe in the Wesleyan quadrilateral, as you know, so we we hold up scripture, but we also believe the Holy Spirit speaks Mm -hmm. through wisdom and tradition and experience. And so I think it's really helpful when church groups bring in thought leaders from other fields like neuroscience. I think of Dr. Meg Meeker, who writes about to talk to teenagers that basically your, your body and your brain, it's not, it's not ready for sex. Like it's, and, and unpacks from the, the um, anatomical side, how hurtful it is emotionally and physically to take, to start doing that step then when your body's not developed for it. And so coming at it from the medical perspective and the neuro, the neurological perspective, the emotional health perspective, bringing those voices into the church, I think are so helpful. um, Because while, while we can learn about caring from our caring for our bodies and being in from the Bible, and sexual purity from the Bible, it, it is it is unclear to the fifteen year old mind, like I said, because and to all of our minds, because women were viewed as property in those days, and it's not the case anymore. So how do we interpret those scriptures? And there's a great book I also recommend. Um, Good Good Christian Sex is the name of the book. The author is Bromley. Bromley. What is her last name? I cannot remember it, but the title is "Good Christian Sex," and that's a helpful one. And then I know Cindy Wang Brant's book "Parenting Forward." She is a phenomenal writer, and she talks she talks about masturbation and how Christian parents can deal with that subject matter in a healthy way. Um, and I know it, it rocked the boat to some too, um, but I'm I'm thankful. I'm so thankful that so many Christian authors now are are disrupting thought patterns and rocking the boat and the the topic of sexuality in my book has gotten the most personal messages from people on social media and so many stories of of shame and from, from the church around that topic and it's heartbreaking. So I'm I'm glad that I'm glad I'm just glad that authors are um, encouraging and in a way that is rocking the boat. <laughs>
1: oh yeah, I mean, just, absolutely. Just... And it's sorry, Josh, go ahead.
0: Oh, I was just going to give, like, uh, say that, um, I mean, (laughs) when I was working at the Methodist Church, I I taught a series um, on, like, relationships and sex and that kind of stuff, and uh, I remember uh, this one lady in the church, like, once she caught wind that I was doing this, wanted to talk to me about it, and I was like, oh, my goodness, okay, like, you know, I figured I was going to get the, you know, purity talk, basically, like, you better be telling this, (laughs) And the exact opposite happened. Now, this lady was in her seventies, and she was like, "You better tell those kids that masturbation is good, and they should do it, and they should enjoy it." And I, <laughs> like, that's that's what this lady pulled me aside to tell me, and I was completely thrown off guard. Anyway, Marty, I'm sure that's not what you were going to talk about. So, <laughs> well, <that's,
1: laughs> no, what awesome. I was going to say is, you you actually made a, you you actually made a comment um, twice in that 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 stuck out to me. You said. Um, you know women were property but that's not the case anymore and while I agree with you uh, I would I would I would push back and argue that there are many men that actually still may have oh. been raised in a culture in which women are property to them mm-hmm. um you know their their wife is their quote unquote property now they probably wouldn't use that language they probably wouldn't say mm-hmm. my wife is my my possession uh, but they would they would definitely say, my wife in 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 a way in which they're referring to their wife as if like that's mine rather than Mm -hmm. like my partner or my teammate or you know the person who i do life with or you know i mean i regularly regularly say my wife Uh, i'm thankful that my wife understands that i'm not saying that from a place of possession but instead a place from partnership Um, Right. But it was just interesting to me that you that you say that because I, you know, unfortunately, I think and and to be honest, I don't think this exists as much outside of the church as it does inside the Christian conservative Hmm. evangelical thought process where your wife, you know, in many ways is your property and your wife, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a set of there's I I would even venture to say maybe a set of unspoken rules that your wife kind of just knows that she needs to live by. Um, within the household and within the marriage and within the career, particularly if you're a pastor, then your wife kind of has this sort of box that she's supposed to live within. And she's supposed to look a certain way and she's supposed to run the women's ministry. And, you know, she's supposed <laughs> to dress a certain way. And, you know, on Sunday mornings at church, she's supposed to speak to people in a certain way and she's supposed to kind of just be a leader Um, And I think my wife, one of the things that she and I have talked about, because I'm not currently in ministry right now, and we've been debating with the going back to ministry or just doing something else. And one of the things she has regularly said is, I'm just not ready to be in that position right now where I need to be a pastor to somebody else's mind. You know, I'm not I'm not ready to be in that position where you know, I'm supposed to be um, a leader and I'm supposed to be that person that someone looks up to. And, and she like she said right now, I, what I feel like I need most right now is the opposite. Someone to mm-hmm. someone to lean into me. I, I feel like I need that. Um, and I think it's just, I, I think about that specifically. And I think, I mean, just coming from a ministry's perspective, I, I realize that this is not just within ministry, but that's been my experiences. there's a lot of, pastor's wives that don't know what they're supposed to do but everyone else around them feels like they they're supposed to look or be or act a certain way um so like i mean josh and i on this podcast we like we are extreme and we aren't just saying this because you're a woman and you're on the podcast with us this week but like you know josh and i are extreme like women's advocates like you, you like you do not have to be a certain way you don't have to dress a certain like you are your your own autonomous creation in in the eyes of God um
0: Wow there's an idea for you
1: <laughs> and like God has designed and gifted and given you so many different abilities that the church needs um to build each other up um and he hasn't given me those same gifts simply just by the fact that I'm a different person um and so I, I mean I I know that you said that, and I'm not necessarily critiquing you, but I'm because I, I know that you obviously don't feel that way. But I'm critiquing the thought process that you know women within the church. I mean I just think of so many like these. I mean I love that women's conferences exist, and I love that those things are a part of that. Uh, but I've definitely heard and seen a lot of those conferences looking like that idea, where it's almost perpetuating the thought process that as a woman, you're supposed to look a certain way and you're supposed to be a certain way. You're supposed to, you're supposed to be subservient rather than partnering with your, with your Mm. spouse and with your family. And that you too are a leader in the home. You too are a leader in the church. You too are a leader in your small group and on your worship team and in your Bible study, like you and, and everywhere you go, you are a leader in as much as everybody else. You are not above or below anybody. You are equal in the eyes of God, um, and uh, I just I felt like when I when I heard you say that, because it, it is it, it is true that culturally that was the way it was. But I think there are many Christian and I'll just uh, well, I'll just I'll, I'll, there are the the um, I, I'm, I'm struggling to not use a name because I don't want to do that necessarily. But there are <laughs> many. Um, You're such uh, a good Christian. Big name. <laughs> OK, fine. then <laughs> Because you said that there are so many John MacArthur's out there these days. <laughs> that want women to look and be and act and remain within that role of what a woman in the first century would have looked like. Um, And I'm sorry, that's just that's just not the way it is. And it's just not the way it should be. Um, And like my personal belief is anyone that remains in that has completely missed the gospel all together and they're 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 not living the gospel, they're not teaching the gospel. And a matter of fact, they're taking everyone that hears that message and they're pushing them further and further and further down this super slippery slope uh that many are already at the bottom of. So like sorry, that was my soapbox, but I, I wanted to I wanted to say that.
2: No, I'm so glad I'm so glad you did. I get stuck in not stuck, but of course I only see the world from my egalitarian view of marriage that I and I have put up so many boundaries with in the book we talk about tears of relationships. I put up so many boundaries with with friends of mine that operate out of this complementarian view of marriage because their views are, are so hurtful <laughs> to to who I am. And yeah. so I, I, I still hang out with them, but they're not our favorite double date couples anymore because we just have such different values. <laughs> but that's a great that's a great reminder yeah. that that sadly that view is still out there and I I, I, I was speaking from the place of If you're dealing with, say, a 21 year old who has this egalitarian view of marriage, or of someday getting married and has this egalitarian view and believes that that casual sex is is okay and healthy and good for him or her, that coming to him or her with a a Bible passage that is coming from the context of women being property wouldn't speak to them at all. And so so but you're you're exactly right. There are much no. <laughs> more so many and I, I totally agree with you. So many of those are coming from right-wing leaning conservative Christian circles for sure. So that thank you for that reminder. That's good.
1: Yeah, and it's not it was definitely not a critique of you by any stretch. I it just it's one of those things that you hear and you say, "Oh boy, like I really hope that there aren't people that still believe that, but at the same time reality tells me that there definitely are. Um, men that are walking around, that are thinking to themselves, like you know, this is kind of my world, and everyone else is just living in it. So,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's good. That's a good reminder. Yeah, glad that glad that there are people. There might be a lot of John Macarthur's out there, but there's also a lot of people thinking like we do. So yeah, for sure. If we can just all get along, that'd be great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I agree. I totally agree. Yeah, that
0: actually there. That was really cool. There was a um, so at, at uh, our church yesterday. Uh, we had this guy. Um, he goes by the title bishop uh, from Tanzania that we have a church partnership with. And he was in and he he made that point. I mean, not in regards to the women thing, but what you said about getting along. Uh, he was saying, like, churches church is like, we need to just start getting along with each other and, and working together. And um, like, I know that we have theological differences or whatever. But like, stop trying to kick each other out of the faith all the freaking time and like work together and imagine what we could do, you know, to change the world. Uh, and then I was telling my students yesterday, I'm doing this teaching series right now with them called Surprise the World. And when Julian um, was emperor of Rome, which was was after Caesar, um, he was like freaking out because this is like early spread of Christianity. And he was like losing his mind because he was saying like the Christians – you know, they're perverting our empire. Like they're, they're not following this, the social structures of society, all this stuff. And his plan hit like legitimately, you can go Google this. This is a historical thing. His plan that he sent to his, his military and his men and and whatever was, we need to start out loving the Christians. Like let that sink in for a second. (laughs) We need to go out love these people because they're perverting our society with how loving and caring they are for other people. And it's changing the world. And like, that's definitely not the church today. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I told my students that and they're like, man, like our church is so different from how it used to be then. Like, can you imagine, you know, the U.S. government coming out like, oh, man, we need to start out loving the church because they're, you know, a force to be reckoned with. Man. Anyway, that was a complete side note, but.
2: No, man, that's so oh, inspiring.
0: Lord. Yeah, for real. <laughs> that like that that needs to be our mantra. Like <laughs> as Christians, can we live in such a way that uh people are so freaked yes. out by how kind and caring and compassionate we are that you know, empires of today need to quote start out loving us. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Oh yeah. That's beautiful to think about.
0: Man. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so
2: we are we are capable. That's one of the one of the underlying messages I hope to get across in the book is that God is just waiting on us to own the power He has given. That God has given us that we are more powerful than we are currently aware of.
0: Yeah, and you have this. Um, I'm going to flip to it real quick. If you don't uh, mind me reading it, uh, you have this really like helpful paragraph at the just at the very end of your book that does kind of sum up everything. Um, I know we didn't get to talk about everything in your book today, which is good because now people can go buy it and should go buy it. <laughs> but um, you're talking about how like our true, you said, although, uh, although it may be tempting, don't rely on the validation of others. True validation comes from within and you are already enough. As you house the holy, you already possess, possess enough grace for every wound and enough grit for every goal. You, yes, all of you, are your own sanctuary. You are safe, you are loved, and so you got this. Um, I really liked that because, and I think that, I mean, that's clearly the the theme that you pull through the whole book, and that's the title of your book, Being Your Own Sanctuary, but just that reminder that um, we do have, you know, the Holy Spirit, <laughs> we talk about the Holy Spirit living and dwelling inside of us, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is is alive and well inside of us, and far too often we don't, Look in and tap into that power, and then let that shine out through us. And so I think that's like such a, a big overall strength of your book, Meg. Is it? It really continues to re- to remind me, and hopefully to remind others, um, that that is the case. And uh, so I thank you for that. That um, is really great.
2: You are so welcome. I I receive I receive your words, and it, it's. I know you feel this when you write lesson plans and when you write your future book that when you're when you're writing you are praying for future readers and so it's it's wonderful to hear to hear back from people that the words that the holy spirit used to help you find healing are now being used to help others feel healed and find healing as well so and i should probably use this time to also yeah. tell you the listener that you can get the first 50 pages of the book for free if you go to my website, megcalvin.com. It's a button right at the top. Oh, yeah, you can just give the book a test drive before you commit to LOL and get your own copy.
0: So you met, you mentioned uh, your website and how uh, listeners can go to, the, to your website uh, to find you. Uh, where else would you like people to go um, and find you and interact with you, Meg?
2: Yeah, I would love to connect with anyone who wants to connect at instagram meggie underscore lee underscore calvin and then i'm on facebook meg calvin and then my website is megcalvin.com and um yeah you can by clicking at the top as we we said um you you get the first 50 pages for free to give it a test drive um before you commit to see figure out is this book for me it might not be for me if you if you were offended by south park quotes or cathartic cuss words like (laughs) this book probably isn't for you and so um so after yeah by signing up at the top of my website you you get that and you also get occasional emphasis on the word occasional occasional goodness in your inbox about finding confidence and certainty in who God made you to be. So that's waiting for you too, dear listener.
0: Sweet, awesome and and listeners as well be sure to uh after you do do that test drive, um be sure to support Meg and and pick up a copy of her book. I really enjoyed it. Um I think there's I think what's so another cool thing about your book is there's something in there for everybody, Meg, even if um like there's some things that, you know, throw them off or whatever. I think that every reader can, can go to your book and find something that speaks to them and is helpful to them. Um, I think that's a real strength. So, um, I think that's a really cool thing. And thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sweet. Well, thank you so much uh, for your time today, Meg. Thanks also for, uh, dealing with some of our technology issues and being graceful in that. Uh, we appreciate it. Um, And hopefully we can uh, stay connected and and maybe do this again sometime.
2: Yes, it it was my honor to be here. So thank you. Thank you both.
0: Yeah, thank you. And uh, for our listeners, as always, go Caps. And go Blackhawks.